listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Windy City Slam now brought to you by Joseph's Finest Meats, simple old school Italian butcher shop showcasing prime aged beef, chops, and house-made sausages, 7101 West Addison Street in Chicago, Illinois, Joseph's Finest Meats, nobody beats our meat. I love that slogan. Mike Pankow, how are you? Chris, I'm good. How you doing? I'm good, buddy. I am excited that you are here and we are ready to rock. Um, Should be just a great time. For us here on Windy City Slam today. All right, my friend, we got Nick Hausman coming on from Wrestling Inc. He's going to be joining us in just moments. Before we get to that, give me what you got because you're always ready to go every Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time, live on the Podbean app, and then on demand afterwards with the Windy City Slam podcast. Take it away. Yeah, well, um, it was a big weekend in wrestling, uh, locally, nationally, uh, you name it. Um, I have some tidbits here before we get to Nick, which hopefully he'll be uh, coming online here in a few minutes. Um, first of all, we would like to congratulate Warrior Wrestling Champion, uh, Women's Champion, Tessa Blanchard and Daga for getting married last week in Mexico. They they tied the knot. Your girl's off the market, dude. I mean, I know you're <laughs> happily married, but that, you know, I mean, what happens? I mean, you always, you're always, I'm always keeping my next wife just uh, like at an arm's length, just in case. So I have an alternate. That was your alternate if something went horribly wrong and, and now she's gone. This is, this is, this is difficult on me. For you, Michael. I'm doing fine. I mean, Doc is suave. He, he, he's a good guy. I mean, it, it's all good. I mean, congratulations to the happy couple. I can hear the hurt in your voice anyway. Uh, let's go on to Black Label Pro, who had a doubleheader on Saturday. And the, the big news item from that was we have to congratulate Jake Something, who became the new Black Label Pro champion. And it wasn't as, as simple as it sounded. Uh, basically... Calvin Tankman defeated Eric Stevens for the title on the first show. And then later on, on that show, Jake something cashed in a title opportunity to go ahead and uh, become the new Black Labor Pro champion. So the title changed hands twice. Now Jake something holds that title and congratulations to him. And um, switching on to one of our veteran local competitors, great guy, Vic Capri, the ice pit Vic Capri. Um, best of luck to him. Uh, Vic tore his left triceps during a workout late last week. Uh, we definitely wish you a speedy recovery. And then uh, coming up this weekend, we have a couple of uh, local shows. Uh, Chicago Style Wrestling has their first show since March. The show is called We're Back, and it's going to be at uh, Lake in the Hills at the American Legion Post, 1231, Saturday afternoon. Uh, the two matches that I've seen primarily announced are, are the champion, the CSW Women's Champion, um, Sky Blue against Heather Reckless. And then we have veteran Chicago wrestler Marche Rocket, who's been in Impact Wrestling. He's taking on Cypher of the Chicago Sideshow. So that's shaping up to be a pretty good card. Gali Lucha Libre is going to have a show out in West Chicago outside of Cairo Pizza and Grill. And that show will be in the parking lot 
of that fine establishment. They did a show uh, about two week, uh, about a week ago. They're going to come back and do it again. Uh, Gringo Loco, the champion, will be on the show. And also, legendary Mexican mini Mascarita Sagrada is advertised. He made an appearance back in the 90s, pre-attitude era, I believe, for WWE. This has been a big week in wrestling, would you say? Yes, it is. All right. Well, Nick Houseman, I see him inside of the room. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have Nick call in, hitting one of those guest call-in buttons. We're going to have him join the show right now as we are live. All he has to do is reach up and uh, punch one of those guest buttons, and we are going to be back with him in just moments right here on Windy City Slam. Hey, Southsiders, are you White Sox fans? The number one most downloaded White Sox podcast, according to Podbean.com, is Socks in the Basement, and it's part of the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. Insider interviews, stat breakdowns, and coverage year-round. Join me and my buddy Dave and all kinds of great guests each and every week for 30 minutes of Socks. It's found everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. All right, we're just waiting on our guests to call in while we're waiting for him to do that. Mike, why don't you give me your breakdown of SummerSlam? Oh, I really enjoyed the show. Um, I thought NXT TakeOver was the better show, as most times when they combine an NXT TakeOver with a WWE main show, NXT TakeOver usually is the better show. I mean, I thought SummerSlam was pretty good, though. I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, The Fiend coming out with the Universal title over Braun Strowman was cool. Right. And then uh, Roman Reigns returned. We're going to talk about that right now with our guest that has jumped on the line. Nick Houseman joins us from Wrestling Inc. Nick, how are you? I'm good. So sorry about the technical stuff connecting here, guys. I'm very happy to be with you today. Mike, you've been incredible to me over the years. We we drove we drove Brian Pillman Jr. nuts last week with the tech aspect of this whole thing. Like he had his <laughs> he had his he had his earphones wrapped around his neck at one point and he was like completely discombobulated that was a much smoother entrance than what pillman jr did last week so don't worry about it well as long as i can outshine pillman then it's been a good monday so that's good what's your initial impression of SummerSlam? like what what did you think because i'm going to tell you something the fans got something they've been clamoring for forever in the fiend going out and winning in a big match to end the night and then of course you bring in roman reigns which that's that's perfect. That's WWE trolling at its best because everybody thinks that Roman gets whatever he wants to, and they're like, oh, now he's just going to come and take it back away from The Fiend. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought SummerSlam was the best show that WWE's done since the COVID era. I mean, honestly, there was very little to dislike about it. I thought all the matches delivered. I thought there was like, yeah, the fun Roman Reigns return, uh, Roman Reigns return at the end. Uh, I thought Dominic Mysterio looked incredible. I thought Asuka had, you know, a career-defining night you know, with everything that she did between the two matches. So I have no problems uh, with what happened in SummerSlam. I thought it was a phenomenal show. I kind of want to start on a personal note with you. Uh, as a journalist, I did a little bit of research on you before the show. Um, you have a history with improv comedy. Uh, I just found it very, very interesting. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that, and then what can you, t- <laughs> we'll laugh well, for you. What, what can you tell me also about Ronaldo Piven? Oh, uh, well, well, uh, before Piven debuted as a manager on the Indies, uh, yeah, I actually moved to Chicago to study improv. Uh, I spent a lot of time. Uh, I was on three Herald teams at I.O. I was an ensemble member for The Annoyance and for comedy sports. 
did a lot of work at Second City, um, wound up meeting a bunch of wrestlers in the process of teaching classes and doing shows. Uh, CM Punk used to come to the shows I did with Cabana uh, back in the day, which was always kind of weird because he was very much in like his element and his prime when he was just sitting in the back not drinking and laughing, which is surprising. I mean, to make somebody who's not drunk laugh, that's really a compliment. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, after, I mean, the improv scene, it's, it, you know, the improv scene is a, uh, you know, when you kind of get to the upper echelons of it, it's pretty ruthless, man. It's a pretty ruthless, uh, it can be a pretty callous business. And, uh, I, the atmosphere of improv comedy for me in Chicago is not really something I enjoyed anymore. Um, but then I really enjoyed getting asked to, partake in these uh, wrestling shows and, and get to be a manager there for, I guess, five or so years. Uh, Ronaldo Piven uh, performed for Billy Corgan's Rev, uh, or Resistance Pro here in Chicago, did a lot of work with Blitz. Uh, just uh, ICW up in Milwaukee, they're doing their Insane 8 this weekend. And I, mm-hmm. I think I, I saw that announcement this morning. I was like, I'm pretty sure it was on an Insane 8 show, not falling through any glass or anything, just like managing against, I think, Yabo the Clown or something. Um <laughs> So, yeah, the improv stuff kind of led to the, the managing stuff. And then the managing stuff, after I took a few bad bumps and realized I'm not very athletic, uh, led to me just, you know, embracing the pro wrestling journalism world and, you know, filling my days talking to wrestlers, telling stupid jokes about wrestling, um, and just really just getting to stay a part of the business, you know, which was just something I wanted to do because I just enjoy the pro wrestling business. And so I've been uh, very fortunate to follow the waves and get to do a couple cool things here in my adulthood. Hopefully I get to do more cool things in my adulthood too. You get a lot of people that, that, that cover wrestling, like, you know, I mean, what the heck even here you got me and Mike and we've sat around and we talk about it and we talk about it when we're off the air, we talk about it when we're on the air, but there's, there's something extra to the fact that you've actually taken some bumps you know, I mean, like, so, like that you can yeah. actually kind of expand. I mean, the most I have is that there was a there was a some offshoot wrestling group that came in when I was in Wheeling, West Virginia, doing radio, and they hit me in the back with a chair because it was a stunt that I was doing for the morning show. And I still don't consider myself to have ever really taken a bump in a wrestling ring. So for for you to do it, that probably gives you an even better perspective when you're when you're covering it now for Wrestling Inc. Yeah, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because that was really one of the big things for me um, was, you know, I have a great appreciation for post-wrestling like John Pollock and Wei Ting and for the work that Justin Labar did, especially at Shot Wrestling uh, or Reality of Wrestling, whatever they want to call it, CSR. Um, but those are the guys that kind of influenced me. And I was sitting there listening to them and I'm like, well, these guys have never been in the business. These are guys talking about the business. I was like, I bet if you got into this with the experience that you have, you'd probably be pretty good at it. And within about a year and a half, I was the executive editor at WrestleZone and served there for about a year and a half in that position. And now I'm the managing editor at Wrestling Inc. And I think that it helps a lot to like actually know what it is to be a ringside, know, know what it is to take risks and, you know, feel those bumps and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I, I think it's, you know, if you're going to, if you really want to make this a career and a livelihood and, you know, your whole life and everything. I think you have to have spent some time in the business in some capacity. Um, I would hope at least. So, all right, Mike, when you, when I, next time I see you, we're, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wrestle me and you big guy. We're going to start this. Oh, off. come on. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I have too much respect for the business to embarrass myself and the business by trying. 
I'd love to see you over at the Freelance Academy. Go be, have Mustafa Ali run you through some lucha drills, you know? Be good, to, be good, God, it'd be good content at the very least. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure Mustafa Ali is a great guy, and I'd love to be able to interview him and take in some sessions with him and, and Bryce and Isaiah and all those people. But, yeah, I, I, just, I just don't think I could actually get in the ring and do it myself. Well, never well, say never, man. One of the things that you got to do, uh, you mentioned CM Punk and Colt Cabana earlier. You were actually front and center at that trial when they went head-to-head after the whole CM Punk, uh, Dr. Amen uh, lawsuit thing. And then Punk and Cabana had some legal issues between themselves as well. What was that like covering that? Um, that was a really interesting experience. You know, I'd still probably put that, you know, as, as far as like pro wrestling journalism that I've done probably at the top, you know, because it got so much coverage. Uh, the funny story behind that was, so uh, for those that aren't familiar, like, yeah, uh, Dr. Aman sues Colt Cabana and CM Punk for things that Punk said on Cabana's podcast about, you know, WWE's unsafe work. There's a lot of people that think that WWE was supporting Aman in this lawsuit because they didn't really, you know, like CM Punk. Um, so I kind of knew what was going on. And then the first day happened. And believe it or not, I was down at a dive bar underneath my house called Galway Bay. You know, back when you could go to dive bars and stuff. And um, I get a call from Frank the Clown. Frank the Clown is like, why is nobody in this tri- in this courtroom right now covered? This is the trial of the century, pro wrestling-wise. And I have never been in a courtroom. I have no idea what protocols are for a courtroom. Um, I had to, like, kind of quasi, with a couple beers in me, look up how this works. And the next day, threw on a shirt and some slacks, walked downtown. And I guess you just say you're with press. You have to have the judge, like approve you to be in the room and then yeah from day two you know it was me i was in there the first day ross berman joined me the second and then ross kind of took over for a couple days because i was this all happened so fast and i came back for the last day or two and it was uh it's, it all just seemed like kind of like a waste of time honestly like from the beginning like nobody really bought that dr amon was owed three million dollars for these things that punk and cabana said you know it seemed more of a retribution type maneuver uh, towards Punk and Cabana by WWE. And uh, in the end, you know, Punk and Cabana won out. I think it was the right call. Um, I'm bu- I don't know what happened with those two guys. I hear they don't get along too well now following that trial. They certainly were, like, doing their best to show uh, continuity in the courtroom, in the presence of the jury and the and the judge. But as soon as that trial was over, man, they were just in a different direction. So um, outside all the legal ramifications, which are like, now it's going to be much more difficult to sue podcasts and stuff for things that are said because of the precedents in the case. It was just more, uh, it was very compelling watching two friends or former friends have to like coexist in this very strict corporate setting. And then also just hearing all these wrestlers come out and just like burn the curtain and be like, here's how we put together the Royal Rumble. This is why CM Punk was eliminated. This is why we sent Kane out. You know, mm-hmm. the, the whole the whole business just exposed, you know, if you go back and find all the court proceedings and stuff, really unique insight into the inner workings of how WWE functions. SummerSlam, um, we talked a little bit about it at the top. Um, you, you really, really enjoyed the show. And you mentioned Dominic Mysterio. Yeah, he didn't look like a rookie. He looked like he was ready to go. And obviously, Seth Rollins, a guy that can really, really help young guys well. Oh, yeah, man. That match kicked ass. Like, I thought that Dominic Mysterio really put on a show. Um, I thought Seth Rollins was, like, the perfect opponent for him. You know, I'd heard for, like, a couple years now, because I've been kind of tracking Dominic's training once I found out he was training. Like, I talked to Booker T about his training. I talked to Conan about his training. 
And they were always like, yeah, don't expect from Dominic what you see from his dad. Dominic's a bigger kid, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really cool to see him kind of embrace parts of his dad's persona. But he's really quickly, like, creating an identity for himself, you know? I thought that the gear looked good. I don't know how I feel about the hood. I don't know what it is. Maybe because I'm older now. Bugged me. But, like, you know, kids wear hoods. I guess Mm -hmm. it's cool. So like you know, <laughs> I, I just thought he, I just thought he, I thought he put on a hell of a performance, and I think everybody after this weekend is like, what's next for Dominic and Pat McAfee, man? I'm yeah. shocked. So. I I personally, the Pat McAfee match, I was so impressed. I mean, everybody, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my god, what's this guy doing in the ring of Adam Cole? There's there's no way he should be in that match. Uh, this is silly, but I think Cole has a natural charisma as a heel as you've seen on his podcast on his videos on his analysis on like espn and such and in the ring he had some amazing athletic feats jumping from the ring canvas up to the top rope to meet uh adam cole i thought it was an amazing amazing move especially for a punter oh dude it was a well and like you know this guy's a world-class athlete this guy spends his time just playfully jumping up and down off boxes i wasn't shocked mm-hmm. to be able to do that but yeah. it's just more it's more like the fact that i was impressed that the producers knowing what this guy could do didn't try to hold him back you know because you'll, you'll hear stuff about certain performers who say well i could do this i could do that but they don't want me to because it's like a big man wouldn't normally do this or whatever the excuse may be they let this guy go out there and live his dream. I mean, this guy was doing the, the Brock Lesnar shuffle before the bout. This guy mm-hmm. was doing Ric Flair woos. I mean, there's this. he was doing stuff that if a lot of other guys did it, I'm pretty sure there'd be some people in the back being like, hey, you know, that's not your gimmick, right? Somebody else has a gimmick, but it's him. He's just, he's fantasy doing whatever he wants. It's awesome. He's having the time of his life. Yeah, that, that, that whole NXT TakeOver show was amazing. And I think, and this is my opinion, that NXT does the best big shows in professional wrestling in the United States today. What, what's your what's your take on that opinion of mine? Man, you know, I, I would agree with you traditionally, but I thought SummerSlam was the better show than TakeOver. Okay. You know, I thought, I thought TakeOver was a good show, but, you know, it wasn't like a blow away show. I don't think that they won up SummerSlam. I think SummerSlam uh, was able to get the better at TakeOver this time. Um, I thought it was really cool to see Cross take the title. I think there's a lot more to that. I think, you know, with Keith Lee transitioning to Raw. But that, but that's what yep. TakeOver was this time. It was like a transition episode. It wasn't like the end of stuff. It was like the beginning of a lot of new stuff. And I thought with mm-hmm. SummerSlam, you saw the conclusions of some feuds. You saw some new stuff get heated up. Um, I think the inner, I, I was really kind of against Thunderdome at first because I thought I was going to have a seizure, but like now I'm like getting used to it. And I definitely feel like it makes everything feel way, way bigger than being in those dark rooms. So I, I, I thought, I think NXT does great shows, but I think this weekend, I think SummerSlam went up them. Yeah. Speaking of Thunderdome, uh, I had a couple of observations on that. Friday night on SmackDown, I thought it looked really, really cool, but it, it didn't seem like there was nearly as much fan reaction and stuff like that. But I think uh, Sunday night at SummerSlam, it seemed a lot better. I mean, it seemed like there's more fan reaction. I don't know what kind of audio that they're piping in from the fans, if they're piping in from the fans at all, or is some of that sweetened? Um, Well, I definitely feel like there's some sweetened audio. I mean, they're obviously, like, just cranking crowd noise the whole time. Um, You know, we had a report up on the site uh, over the weekend where we found out, you know, they're going to be – rewarding fans who are more active if you're cheering and you're looking engaged, you know, you're going to get moved closer to the ring and things like that. But, you know, even still, you know, we saw that fire velveteen dream 
sign make its way into the crowd. And, you know, wrestling fans are notoriously a rowdy bunch and do not like being told what to say and do. And I really fascinated to see how this plays out with these fans being put into a space and being told to act a certain way. And I, I, I mean, so far so good, largely, I guess we'll see how it goes, you know? Yeah. I, I saw a tweet uh, yesterday saying that um, somebody was um, that's participating in the Thunderdome itself. One of the fans was saying WWE production was, was telling them when to cheer and when to boo. Like for instance, they were telling, they were saying boo Sonya Deville. I'm like, after what Sonya Deville has gone through in her personal life, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to just boo because WWE commands you to boo. I mean, I think it's kill- that if that is the case, I think that's kind of killing genuine organic moments. Yeah, it is. And that's the thing, again, is it's like WWE now has the weird ability to try to control their fans. And, you know, you mentioned the Sonya moment there. I'm sure that was very weird. I just wonder how how tenuous it's going to be. And also, like, do, like, hyper-sycophantic wrestling fans get rewarded in this moment? Like, are we going to see the same 200 people kind of ringside all the time because they know how exactly the game WWE wants them to play? It's just an yep. interesting, it's really interesting, you know? I just want to uh, hit that local scene real quick before we uh, maybe go back to national. Sure. You broke, you broke some news late last week. Uh, Warrior Wrestling is returning for a stadium series. Three outdoor events on consecutive Saturdays. Yeah. Uh, bravo to you and Wrestling Inc. for breaking that. Um, now we, we both broke news on our uh, our prospective platforms from Warrior Wrestling. So um, we got some great talent coming in. Brian, obviously, we have some of the regulars, like Brian Tooman Jr., who's the champion, Brian Cage, Lance Archer, Sam Adonis, the Rascals, Kylie Ray, Isaiah Velasquez, Warhorse, Alex Zane. But they're also bringing in Forward Impact champ, uh, X Division champ Chris Bay, Filthy Tom Lawler's coming back, Alex Shelley's coming back, and a group uh, called Violence is Forever, who I believe just competed in Black Label Pro, also coming in, and former Knockouts champion Jordan Grace also coming back. So um, what else have you heard about these three shows in September? Uh, everything you just told me is news to me. I have been so busy this weekend. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I obviously do commentary for Warrior Wrestling, and I got the email or I got the message from Steve asking me with the graphic and everything if I wanted to, to do the show. And I was like, of course, I'm in all for all three shows. And I was like, can I break this on the site? He's like, oh, that's a way better idea than me just tweeting it out. And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm just going to do that. <laughs> um, so there you go. There's the mystery of how our exclusive came together. It really wasn't a big deal. Uh, but beyond that, man, and that was going on on Friday, uh, I asked him, I was like, is there anything you want me to put in the release and all that? And he's like, well, here's the people we're talking to. And he told me some of those names. Uh, but you know, let's just keep it the announcement for now. So I didn't really know who exa- I didn't really know what this card was going to look like. Man, I'm happy to hear Alex Shelley's back. He's the man. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Now hopefully we get Chris Saban at some point too. See if some motor city machine guns up close. Oh, dude, I would love to call the Motor City Machine Guns match, man. Like it, like you know, we talk about Pat McAfee at you know, you know, Fantasy Camp. I'm at Fantasy Camp every time I go get to call a Warrior Wrestling show. Like mm-hmm. I can't believe it. I'm like. Oh, cool. You guys are going to let me, like, call Rey Mysterio's final independent wrestling match before he goes to WWE? Let's do it. That's fine. I'm hyper unqualified for this, but we're going to roll with it. So, you know, uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm kind of curious about 
the whole Renee Young story because it, okay. she, she either leaves because she realizes that she's really talented, which she is, and she can go do anything. She can go work for ESPN if she wanted to or uh, CBS Sports. or so. She doesn't she can work for Fox Sports. She doesn't even need to stay in wrestling. Is is it because of something like that, do you think? Or do you think that the whole thing with the covid outbreak, the fact that she got herself exposed, it affects Moxley's uh, career. Basically, he misses out on a match and that there's bad blood there. And that's why. And it pushes her to the point where she decides she wants to leave, because I'm kind of curious what your take is on why she decides she wants to leave WWE. Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, you certainly connected a lot of dots there. Right. But I mean, that's all this is. It's just speculation. Right. Until she comes out and tells her story. Uh, you know, on the record, you know, it's all just speculation till then. I, I will say that I know that WWE valued her a lot. Um, I don't know exactly why she's leaving. The stuff you said could very well be true. Um, you know, but she kind of done her time in WWE. You know, she was pulled from commentary. She was on backstage, pulled from backstage, didn't really seem to find herself back in the mix with WWE. She's too talented to be sitting on the bench for long. And so I think it may have just been a situation of, if you're not going to use me, I'll find something else to fill my time. I think it could be as simple as that as well. Um, I, there's a chance we see her at AEW. I don't know what her non-compete looks like for WWE. Um, what what they say she can and can't do, you know, after she leaves the company for a while. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, like with all media, you know this, with media non-competes, you can go and argue and get out of half of them. So like I, I, I had I had a co-host of mine on a morning show one time and she brought the thing to court and the judge was like, you can't tell somebody they can't work. Like it was, it, yeah. it, these non-competes get thrown out all the time. So if she really wanted to, she might be able to find her way there. But she's not pigeonholed into having to go to AEW. There's plenty of things she can do. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. These non-competes can be fought. But, dude, I'll sit there and tell you, having watched Cabana and Punk in court with, you know, WWE, they'll go the distance. They're not going to look to settle. If you want to mess with them legally, they have all the firepower in the world to drag this out as long as possible. So is it worth the headache of her? Like having to deal with that or like right now she's like, again, she could go call hockey, which she was doing and loving before she came to WWE. She could go work on a cooking show or next cooking book or whatever else she wants to do. But like spending a year, two years of my life wrapped up in a legal litigation issue with Vince McMahon sounds like a horrible waste of time. (laughs) You know, not fun. Let's talk a little about AEW. Okay. Saturday night, they had an edition of Dynamite, and Brody Lee basically squashed Cody to win the TNT Championship. And then yeah. there was a Dark Order beatdown where they beat up Dustin and QT Marshall, and even Anna Jay got some licks in on Randy Rhodes. What was your take on, on that particular uh, story? And then let's a little bit on All Out as well. Um, I thought that the beatdown was the best Dark Orders ever looked, right? I mean, they look like a vicious pack of, like, wild dogs just, like, laying waste, uh, you know, out in the open. Uh, I thought that it was Brody needed it. I was surprised they put it on Brody. I thought that Cody had more room to go with that. Um, I thought if Brody lost again, it was going to just be really hard to keep that momentum. But now he's, you know, got some power behind him. Um, I guess the Nightmare family will go up against the Dark Order, which, you know, could should be very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was very well done. You know, I, I just feel a little weird because I was so busy this weekend, and by the time TakeOver had started, uh, doing everything in my day, I was planning on watching Dynamite later, and I think that I don't know how many people felt the same way, or I know that the basketball game kind of ran into their start time, so it was like a delayed a little bit. I, I haven't been able to see the viewership numbers coming out of this week, and I just wonder how much of a hit they took and how many people actually saw what I thought was a really good angle with Dark Order and the Nightmare Family. 
Yeah, so all, all, all out coming up, uh, two of the main matches for that show, we have John Moxley defending the AEW Championship against MJF, and yeah. then Chris Jericho against Orange Cassidy. And Orange is a guy that we've uh, kind of beat up a little bit on this show. They're going to be in a Mimosa Mayhem match. Talk a bit a little about those two matches. Top. Uh, well, Moxley MJF is going to be a banger. I would imagine that Moxley's going to keep the title here, um, mm-hmm. just because just because you know they did the title switch with Cody, and they don't tend to do a whole lot of title switches. So I would guess that you know Mox is going to pick up a strong victory here. Um, and with the Mimosa Mayhem match stuff, uh, it could be great, like Wrestling Society X. It could be, which if you remember Wrestling Society X would have like Piranha Tank death matches and stuff. Uh, it could be terrible like WCW 2000 where I believe they had like Vampiro doing some kind of matches like this or something so it's all going to be about the execution I'm with you guys I'm a little mixed on how the Jericho Orange Cassidy stuff has played out it feels a little out of place for everything else going on which has a much more serious kind of gritty tone to it in in AEW so um, I mean I'll watch I'm, I'm, I'm as intrigued as anybody, but yeah, the Mimosa City Mayhem stuff, it's goofy. Um, maybe people will watch it. Maybe that'll be a hook. I'm not really sure. But the MJF Mox stuff will be very, very good. It'll deliver, and I predict Moxley keeps the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real quick before I let you go, um, we usually let our guests do some plugs, and obviously we want you to do some plugs, whether it's social media, uh, wrestling sure. game stuff, whatever you want to throw out there for the fans. Yeah, or if you have like a fa- if you have a Facebook page where you you know you you like to cook spaghetti in weird ways, I don't care. It doesn't even have to do with wrestling. Oh well, I don't use Facebook really that often, so that's not my jam. Good I for am you. on Twitter. I'm at- yeah, Facebook's <laughs> Facebook's an evil place. Twitter's not much better. I should get off that too. But uh, at, at week day, uh, at house daily. No wait, at house rebel. H a u s rebel is my Twitter handle. Um, and then yeah, I do the Wrestling Inc. Daily. That's Wrestling Inc.'s Daily podcast Monday through Friday. The latest episode literally dropped as we were recording this because I record just before you guys record. So you can go check that out. Um, it's the daily dose of news uh, today. Uh, literally, as we were talking, I just released my interview with Aiden English. Um, he talks about Zello Pro Wrestling, his Chicago area ties, of course, as we all do. Um, and uh, about Rusev Day and all that other stuff, we have Ric Flair on the site tomorrow. We have Matt Cardona on Wednesday. So it's a big post-SummerSlam week for us. Uh, so that's all at WrestlingNews.com. The Wrestling Inc. Daily is my podcast. And that's it, man. I don't know. Support that stuff. Just be good to one another. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. There's more important stuff than pro wrestling right now. So, <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on the show today, Nick. Nick Hausman of Wrestling Inc. And we appreciate you stopping in and sharing your thoughts. It was very informative, and we look forward to having you back soon. My pleasure, guys. Anytime, Mike. Again, you have been awesome to me. I will more than support you guys anytime you need it. All right, my friend, we're back again live on Monday, next Monday, 12 p.m. Central Time. And then don't forget that if you miss it on the Podbean app live, you're able to pick us up on demand across all podcast platforms, anywhere podcasts can be found, and always at WindyCitySlam.com. Michael, you have a wonderful week, okay? All right, you too. Uh, Let's hope we can maybe get another guest for next week. I'm kind of uh, pondering that right now as we speak. Good. You ponder away. I'm going to play the outro music and get out of here. Bye-bye, everybody.